Hello there and welcome to Forgotten Cello Music. This is episode 81, Dutch and French Cellists. Okay, that might be a little bit stretching it. One Dutch cellist with a French citizenship and another French composer. This is from, based on Wasilewski's great book about cello history, and this is the era of the 19th century. Now, I know I've already done a podcast about the French cellists in the 1800s, but when I started looking at these other composers, I just, it could not, I couldn't resist. I had to do something about them. I felt that in particular, uh, Daniel van Gones, that's how I do it with my American pronunciation, or Hounds, I guess, is the Dutch way of saying it. Correct me if I'm wrong, will you? Or teach me. For uh, one main reason, which I'll share with you later. Now, a little history fill-in here. Wasilewski does fill in a little bit about the Belgian and Dutch history after writing uh, quite a lot about the French history. He begins way back in the 1700s with Willem de Fesch, um, then goes through to the early 1800s with Adrien Servet, uh, then to the mid-1800s with Jules de Suert. He goes on to main, name many more cello names, uh, very few of which I know very well. And unfortunately, he doesn't even make mention of Daniel van Gaal's or Leon Boelman. Boelman? Boelman? <laughs> these, uh, these are two composers. One is a cellist composer, that's Daniel van Gaal's, and Leon Boelman, he was a composer. Apparently, uh, Van Hounds, as uh, you can hear from his name, has some Dutch background in his family history. Let us fill in some history, but before I do that, I would like to take the time to thank my listeners. Thank you for uh, coming along on this journey with me. It's been two years that I've drug this drug dragged. Which one is it, people? I've been living abroad for so long, I can't really think of it. Yeah, I've, I've taken so much time to go over this. A lot of it is my own laziness. A lot of it is just indecision. And some of it has to do with, there's just a lot of material to choose from. And it's kind of hard because there's, there's a lot that I'd like to do. And there's uh, only one of me. And well, I get kind of lazy when I start thinking about all the work to do. Uh, or maybe it's overwhelmed. Well, we're getting to the very end of the book here. I've skipped over tons and tons of pages in the interest of making somewhat coherent. Maybe? Let me know if you don't think they're coherent or if they need some work at least to smooth them over. Um, episodes. Um, the end of the book is going on to two more sections, very big swaths of country and history, England, Scandinavia, that's one section, and the last section of the book is Slav states and Hungary. Well, just as I did with France, I'm not going to present in these last episodes anybody from the 1700s. They're all going to be focused in the 1800s. I did a lot of music back in that era, 
and I will save that music for some other kind of project. Now, going on to filling in some history of Belgium, Belgium and Holland. As I stated already, Wasilewski begins his uh, section on uh, Belgium and Holland with Wilhelm de Fesch in the 1700s. The cellist might be aware that he wrote six cello sonatas, but he was also an organist, so he was quite busy with uh, his official duties as church organist, like in Antwerp and then uh, after moving to London. There are other unknown names to me in between de Fesch and Adrien Servais, born 1807. Servais is known in the cello world for his rather challenging set of studies with an optional cello two-part. There are several pupils that might be known to cello players, Jules de Suert and then another Adolf Fischer. Now, here's a name, Adolf Fischer, uh, that I was wanting to include, but it, you know, sometimes you just don't have the chops to play the music and well, that's me. I need a lot more practice. Now, many, 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 many more cello players were mentioned. Names completely unknown to me, which is, it's great. It's a great read, so you can get familiar with them. But I did read some music by these names that I was unfamiliar with. Francois de Munch, Pierre Chevillard, uh, both interesting. You know, they just didn't make the cut either because they were too much work to practice or just the other music was much more interesting to me. So I ultimately decided on Leon Bollmann and Daniel van Gogh's. From France and Holland, as I mentioned, Wasilewski <coughs> does not mention van Hounds or nor uh, Bollmann, so all the information I'm talking about is directly re related to my experience with his, with their music, or some little excerpts of information from uh, gleaned from the internet. Daniel van Holmes. Let's suffice it to say that he was French but with Dutch ancestry. He uh, very obviously was particularly interested in writing for students. Uh, the vast majority of his music is student-related writing and it's quite clear that it's pointed at them because of the the distinct lack of virtuosity which a lot of composers would have written in uh, hands down. That's not to make it uninteresting. In fact, I find a lot of the music that was written with virtuosity in mind a little overwhelming and uh, it can be mm, overworked. It's kind of like if you have too much of a good thing. Now, I think all of his music is of, is of a high quality. He certainly knows his music theory well. He has a fine feel for melody and harmony and does very good work in his music. Here are three pieces that Daniel van Hones wrote that I chose out. The first one I mention, now as of recording this, I have not recorded anything from the Scherzo, Opus 12, number two, which is Vivalci molto e con spirito, as far as tempo is concerned. Um, but hopefully I do get around to at least recording some excerpts of the cello solo part 
I have not entered the piano part into the score. But I mention this because in my experience, this seems to be the piece that cellists would know if they know anything by Juan Hollins or Gones. Please somebody tell me how to pronounce his name. I always said it Van Gones or Van Gones, of course, when I was a student. Uh, this is the one. Uh, it comes uh, to me because my teacher back in my high school days said to get a collection of uh, favorite pieces for cellists or cellist favorite contest album and uh, it is the first really virtuosic piece of music that I ever played I mean it's you when you hear it when you watch someone play it if you've played it yourself I think you know what I mean it may not have been the first one for other cellists but it was certainly the first one for me where you have to do very fast playing with a bow stroke called sautier it was an invigorating piece, but it was super scary because you also have to go way, way up high toward the end of the fingerboard to play those highest notes. Now, the pieces that I have recorded with piano are Romance Sans Parole, uh, that's uh, Romance Without Words, Opus 12, number one. And by the way, the scherzo comes from this same Opus 12 and that scares of number two. And then an elegy, Opus 10, a standalone piece. The Romance Without Words caught my attention because of the title, really. I mean, without words, you immediately think of who else? None other than Felix Mendelssohn, right? Songs Without Words. And just in general, the flow of the music was very beautiful. I hope you enjoyed this one as well. Now the elegy, okay, this piece about remembrance made me think immediately, of course, of the more famous elegy by Gabriel Fauré for cello and piano. This one by Van Holmes is a simpler little thing, not that it's less enjoyable, it's just less complex. Fauré oftentimes gives us some complexity that is very beautiful. I wouldn't say it's, it's uh, unnecessary, but sometimes it gets in into the the brain and you think oh my goodness how are you ever gonna play this stuff i mean his sonatas uh can be that way in some regards i don't think he overuses his notes that's not what i mean in fact i don't even know what i'm trying to say right now <laughs> i'm just trying to sound smart now his his elegy van Hohen's elegy does have a convincing line and it proves to tug at my emotional strings let me know what you think. Now let's move on to Leon Bollmann, who was a composer writing for not only cello, but many other instruments, and apparently he did a nice job of it. He was a fairly well-known and received, well-received composer. He also wrote a cello sonata. I hope I can do some something with cello sonatas in the future with a real pianist. Well, Bullman was apparently not a cellist. There's no mention of it anyway, where I was looking on Wikipedia in particular. Um, and I couldn't find it in the old Bakers from 1919. I couldn't find it in the old Groves from 1890-something. Just, uh, in general, not easy to find some of these composers. It could be that they were still living when they were published. So they, they died into the 1900s. Both of these pieces come from suite 
Opus 6, which is a suite of four pieces. Uh, the two I chose were The Nocturne and The Serenade. The Nocturne was chosen, I mean, again, it just makes me think of other pieces, like Chopin's, of course, comes to mind right away. But in particular, other Nocturnes that I've done here on this podcast or on my YouTube channel, like Oscar Bruckner wrote a very beautiful uh, Nocturne. Uh, Georg Goltermann, of course, I featured him many times and spent lots of time looking at Goltermann. He was one of my first interests in forgotten cello music. He wrote a set of five, uh, not all the same opus numbers, so I suppose it's not really a set, but it's been collected into a set. And I even have a video where I perform with a live pianist. That's my dad. Uh, All five of these nocturnes. So thank you, Dad, for accompanying me on those. Uh, It was a it was, it was so much fun to actually get to sit down and do them rather than with um, myself trying to hack through them. Now I can add a third forgotten cellist composer. Okay, this is not a cellist, but he's a composer nonetheless. And then the serenade. Hmm. This proved to be a tricky little number. Very sprite. Love it. Um, but due to the nature of playing with a recorded um, computer-generated well, I entered notes, obviously, but a, a MIDI soundtrack, this just was almost impossible to, to do it because there's a long uh, little serenade. Oh, sorry, not serenade. There's a long uh, cadenza in there, and getting it to come in just right, I, yeah, I, I, I could do it probably if I really sat down to think of it. But anyway, um, if it doesn't come out at, Uh, as the whole piece you know why it's tricky to make it work well that's that for this episode i do want to just say a few other words at the end of the episode for those that have stuck around and listened to it or just skipped ahead and happened to land here um just listen for a second and i i'm going to ask you some questions at the end to see what you have to say now This is a large swath of history in countries. You know, I've been going through this book and I've had to pick and choose. It's in the interest of making a halfway good, coherent podcast episode. You have to do things like that. And of course, I'm doing it in the in the realm of forgotten cello music. So that limits it somewhat, although there are many forgotten cello composers, as we all know if you've listened to this podcast or done any of your own research it's just a big choice a big task rather of selecting pieces and it's just as much a big task of finding something that i'm suited to learn quickly and play well both of those are very important obviously as much of a matter of finding a piano part that's not so complicated i can't manage to record it together and do a nice job Oh, that is a that that one right there is a a, a huge deal for me. Now, I do want to say that I I really hope that this series that I've done of forgotten cello music based off of Joseph Vasilevsky's book The Violoncello and Its History, which unfortunately ends and it, it was published in 1898, so it ends there necessarily. Um and nobody's written any book 
quite like his. <clears throat> I think there's one by the Strad from the 1990s, but uh, I don't do that one here, of course, because I'm looking at music that is in the public domain for the most part. I really hope this has been informative and useful to some degree. Maybe it's useful that, oh, I want to include that music, or I want my students to learn it, or I want to listen to that music just to listen to it, or even to the degree that I definitely don't want to have anything to do with Forgotten Child Music. It's not interesting to me at all. This is going to bring us to the end of this book. Uh, not, not that it would be soon if I did finish out this book. Now, it's been two years, and I'm getting a little bit... Well, I think it's run its course. I was very lazy um, and, well, maybe even somewhat just kind of discouraged that it, it's so difficult to make this sort of thing work well. And um, the last two groups, England, Scandinavia, and the Slav states and Hungary, it comprises approximately 20 pages. Not a lot in the scheme of things, but there's, a, there's composers, there's music to choose, and um, also in the scheme of things for this era, there are composers, yes, there, there's plenty of stuff that, that you could choose. Um, but like I said, I th I'm getting to think that this project has run its course for me, and I'm just getting very disinterested in it. Um, or maybe it's that I'm just more interested right now in doing uh, targeted genres or targeted composition types. You know, like series on nocturnes or a series on lullabies, a, a series on sonatas, something like that, that I could explore um, a little more in detail about these compositions, the, the, the type of, of compositions, the way composers understood the descriptive titles, for example, for Nocturne. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a while, and it just seems very interesting. If you've stuck with me this long in this episode, would you go and uh, write a comment? I'm going to put a link. I'll have a question in my community tab. I'll have a post there on my YouTube channel, and you could write a comment. And I'll probably even, for those that are listening on Spotify, have a question that you could answer in your Spotify account if you're listening there. If you're listening anywhere else, then you need, if you want to answer the question, you have to go to my YouTube account, uh, Traveling Cello, go to the Community tab, which is linked at the, in the description, and answer the question in my post. Or you could go to any video and leave a comment. I'll get notified that you left a comment and you could just say something totally unrelated to the video. But you could also find a Nocturne by Goltermann or a Sonata by uh, Mel Bonis or Louise Ferranc or um, who else? Klangel or whatever. Well, thanks a lot. I do hope you will send your thoughts on this podcast. How do you think about this podcast? Uh, what what goes through your head when you're listening to me um, do these podcasts? What is the reason that you even come here and listen to it if you do indeed come back and listen to it? Is there something that fi you find interesting about the way I present? Um, also, just as interesting and important to me is 
is there some aspect of it that you find lacking that would that could be more compelling for your listening experience <clears throat> that might also draw others in to listen um please find a way to uh comment and let me know what you think i would uh love it and i do my best to respond to comments and that's it remember to play more forgotten cello music